There's promises that God makes that if we play our part, He'll come through, He'll deliver. One of those is honour your mother and father and your life will go well for you. It'll go well for you if you honour your mother and father. And I need to acknowledge tonight that for some of us, that is more difficult than others. For some of us, our parenting story, our guardian story, whoever brought us up, it may not be an easy story. And I wanna acknowledge that tonight. But the, but the Bible's real clear. It says that if you honour your mother and father, if you, if you assume the best of them, if you think about the best things of them, if you, if you are grateful for them, then your life will go well. And uh, for me, that's a, that was an easy thing. It is an easy thing. I had parents that were generous, that were, they were extravagantly generous. They were selfless. They gave up their lives for their five sons, which I am number four. They lived their faith out and really practical ways. It wasn't an ethereal, super hyper spiritual faith. It was just a real practical faith. My dad served for over 20 years in the finances at the local church. My mum served in the local youth, feeding the youth every Thursday. Tipuki Baptist. Go Tipuki. <laughs> they lived out their faith in just a, a solid way. And man, over time, that turned into a really beautiful life. It's interesting because if you looked at their life in the later years, you'll go, oh, their life's actually been pretty easy the way that God has blessed them. But the reality is, is that there were many things that came towards them which really tested their faith. There were many things that flowed towards them that could have derailed their faith, that actually could have derailed their heart's willingness to continue to be generous and open and faithful. One of those things where I saw it get tested in a really major way was in the early 2000s where my mum and dad were uh, filling up at a petrol station late at night and uh, a couple of guys came along and they decided that they were gonna have my parents' car. And so uh, one of them knocked out my dad, uh, clean out, unconscious on the ground, and then they proceeded to steal the car. My mother was still in the car. And my mum's feisty. <laughs> She's ready for a fight, you know? She's ready. She would go and break up fights. I was like, anyway. Uh, but my mum had recently had a hip operation. And so not only was she up for the fight, but she couldn't actually get out of the car anyway. And so she fought these guys off with her crutches. It's like, yeah, Beverid. She fought them off with her crutches and they, they took off. And, and unfortunately for them, they'd had other criminal charges and things that had happened that ultimately this was the straw that broke the camel's back that resulted in them going to jail. 
And over the preceding months, my parents began to shrink back and to withdraw from a lot of life. They actually became quite fearful. They were scared to go out at night. They would definitely wouldn't drive the car at night. And, and they became quite anxious, worried people and they began to like meditate on the fact that it's not actually as safe a world as it used to be. And it, and it, and it, was, it was sad to watch because ultimately here were these generous, open-hearted people but began to shrink back and their hearts began to become less open and vulnerable to, to what God wanted to do through them. But my mom decided one day, she said, you know what? We need to go against this. We need to work against this. Even though this has happened to us and it's affecting us, we actually need to do something about it. And even though in their own hearts, they would have said, we have forgiven the perpetrators. My mum was like, no, we need to do something more. We actually need to bless them. We should go and visit them. And so they, they went through all the rigmarole of uh, being able to go and visit Paremo Remo and they went to the prison and they visited these guys. And they ended up with this amazing connection with these guys. And they took them gifts and they took them a Bible and they, and they, and they blessed these guys. And then they began to like write letters to them and, 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 and encourage them in their faith and encourage them in their journeys. And, and it was interesting to see the result of what happened to these guys who now were being encouraged by this couple that believed in them. And the other thing that was interesting was that through this, my parents then returned to the fearless, generous, open-hearted, hospitable people that they were before. The curse was basically undone. We can't determine what flows to our hearts. However, we can determine with God practices what flows from our hearts. That's what we're gonna be talking about for the next three weeks. Ultimately, it's important to note that God provides things which come to our hearts, which are good, love, joy, peace, hope. But there's things that are outside of our control, outside of our circumstances that come at us that cause pain, that cause heartache, that break our hearts, that actually cause our hearts to shrink back. C.S. Lewis says it like this. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung, squeezed and twisted and possibly broken. If you wanna make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in, that, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. If we stop allowing the flow of God through our lives, if we, if we, if we reduce our willingness to be vulnerable and open, it will cause damage. Ultimately, we are created to allow God to flow through us. In Israel, there's a, in Israel, there's a river, River Jordan, which runs from the north of Israel through to the south. And it's interesting because this river runs 
into the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life. There's fish and creatures and it's actually fresh water and it provides over a third of the water of Israel to be able to continue to sustain life. There's communities and towns and cities around this lake. There's, 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 there's other villages and people that, that survive and live off the tributaries in the river that flow off Sea of Galilee. But it's interesting because if you go further down from the Sea of Galilee, you arrive at the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is that. It's full of salt. The only thing that can live there is bacteria. You can't go in it for longer than about 10 minutes without it doing damage to your body. It is a place of death. And the only difference between those two things, same river, one has outflow, the other does not. You and I, we were created for God to flow in us and through us, into our hearts and through our hearts. But I've got to be honest, Man, things come at our hearts that cause us to want to shrink back. Stuff happens in life. Things are said. Things are done to us that are are complete injustices which happen, which cause our hearts to become a little hardened. I'd say to you, youth tonight, man, hardship will come. Hardship will come. Challenging circumstances will come. Keep your heart soft. Keep your heart open to God. Proverbs 4.23 says, there it is. Thank you, Stella. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The NIV version, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Your heart is what determines the trajectory, the direction of your life. Proverbs 4 is a scripture based in the centre of a passage of chapter 9, chapter 1 to chapter 9, of King Solomon saying to his son, saying to his children, do this. Live like this, life will go well for you and you will experience peace. But in the centre of these chapters, right in the centre, which is actually a literal, uh, a literary uh, technique that, that actually is used by God. He, he, he puts it right in the centre to say, hey, of all the things that are most important, of everything I'm telling you, for your life to go well, for you to experience peace, do this. Keep your heart, guard your heart. What is your heart? Over a thousand times the Bible references the heart, very occasionally, literally, but mainly figuratively. What is the heart? What is the heart? What is is it saying? A thousand times, almost a reference for the heart upon every page in the Bible, depending on the version that you're reading. It's that important. And here's this guy Solomon saying, guard your heart, keep your heart. But what is your heart? What is it? If you can stay with me, 
The heart in Hebrew, in the original language in the Old Testament, was levav, levav. And what this word actually means, it means the seat of our affections, the place of our innermost desires. It's, the, it's, the, it's like the control centre of your life. It's behind our thinking. It's behind our decision-making. It's behind our will. It is the centre of our being. It's like, the, it's like a control tower at the airport where if the control tower is in order, the planes flying are in order. But a man, if there's chaos, if there's confusion in that control tower, man, there is major damage which takes place. And here is Solomon saying, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. But what do we need to guard our hearts from? For me, one of the things that uh, has affected me over the years is rejection. At times I have experienced rejection in my life that has caused me to harden my heart. One of those times was six years ago when there was a, a well-known, very respected uh, church advisor, speaker, uh, author, came to Curate and spent some time with the leadership team, met with Joel and Katie, met with the leadership team, and then gave his feedback after a conversation of interviewing us and finding out about what we do and asking us questions, gave some feedback through a source to say, that, that, that one Hayden, that Hayden Reed guy, yeah. Handbrake, he's, he's actually gonna limit what God is gonna be able to do in and through Curate Church. I was like, that's nasty. <laughs> that, that's mean. That's so mean. You can go back to America. <laughs> he was American. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you his name. <laughs> I'm a drink of water. Oh no. There was hatred welling up, eh? <laughs> and, uh, and anyway, I was like, oh, hey, I'll, I'll catch up with him. I'll, I'll actually take him to dinner. I'm going to pick him up and take him to dinner and find out what he's really saying. And anyway, as I picked him up and took him to dinner, I said, hey, so I, I got the feedback. And he's like, oh, really? You got the feedback? I was like, yeah, thanks for the feedback. So it turns out I'm rump steak when what, what curate actually needs is eye fillet and sirloin. He's like, yeah, but with rump steak, at least you can dress it up, put some sauce on it, put some garnish, it should be great. I was like, oh man, I've got to kick you out of this car. <laughs> Six years. I respected him. I looked up to him. And that those words of rejection caused doubt in my bad moments. And my moments where I thought, am I really up to this? Am I worthy of this? Can you use me, Lord? Man, those rejection, those words of rejection, they hurt and they cause my heart to shrink back from the call of God in my life. And it's happened to you guys. Every one of you at a time in your life have had someone significant, someone you look up to, someone you respect, who has probably spoken words of rejection over your life and you're still carrying them today. For me, I carried them for six years. Last year, Something happened where that got resolved. 
God dealt to that. He sorted that out. But I wanna say today that rejection can be one of those things that can absolutely cause a blockage in our hearts and stop what God is wanting to do to flow through our lives. What's that been for you? The other thing I'd say is that the other uh, aspect of life that can come at us, that can cause blockage, that can cause heartache, which can cause us to harden our hearts as offence, as offence. Jesus said this, He said, He said, it is impossible that no offences should come. It is impossible. John Bevere, in the, which I really suggest you read in a book called The Bait of Satan, he talks about the root word of, 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 uh, of offence actually being bait, the word scandal, and it's like a bait that the, the enemy tries to trap us. He tries to put things in our lives that will mean that we bite down on something that means we will end up being entrapped, end up being enslaved to offence. If we allow the offence, it's actually quite similar to rejection in many ways. If we allow the offence to go down deep and grow stronger and stronger and meditate on it, it can cause our life to be derailed and for our heart to become hardened and stop the flow of what God wants to do through, it, through us. I've heard offence to be described like setting ourselves on fire, hoping that the other person will die of smoke inhalation. And perhaps if you're in a small enough room, you know, and you see yourself on fire enough, perhaps you might be able to cause some damage. But it's crazy, right? And it's so common. We live in a climate of offence. It's often dressed up in subtle ways as like, uh, that, that, that would mean that we're not offended, but actually there's so much offence among us in our families, in our friend circles, in our workplaces, even in this church, offence takes place. But I wanna encourage us tonight, church, we are gonna be a church, a people who live offence-free in 2023. We live free of offence. There's three places that I believe that God wants to deal with offence for us in 2023. But before I mention those three things, there's just a couple of things I want you to know about offence. The first one is that we need to allow God to reveal offence that we may be carrying in our hearts. I think so often what happens is that we get so distracted, so busy, so constantly on the move that we don't actually take the time to stop, to pause and to reflect and say, Lord, examine my heart, is there any offensive way in me? Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's be people this year that we stop, we reflect, we pause and we allow the Lord to examine our hearts and in that place perhaps of pain, perhaps of injustice, we allow His Holy Spirit to be invited into those spaces, into those times, and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only He can do. To transform our hearts, to keep our hearts soft, to keep our hearts tender, to keep our hearts open to His infilling and the outflowing of the Holy Spirit. 
the three places I wanna talk about tonight. The first one is, do you need to forgive God? Do you need to take some time this week and stop and think about perhaps the things that God has not come through for you yet? I believe that actually with God, what often, what often happens is we're not necessarily uh, offended by what He has done, but perhaps what He hasn't done. That perhaps you're waiting on an unanswered prayer and you're still yet to see the Lord come through or things have happened in your life and you're like, God, where were you? He wants you to know tonight that His heart breaks for you. That His heart hurts for you and those things that you've been through and that He never intended for those things to happen to you but He's actually there available for you to resolve those things and, and bandage those wounds and care for you and counsel you and hug you. He's available. He's available. I'm married. Who you finds a wife finds a good thing. She's here in pink. She's way outside my league. <laughs> Uh, we got married and then we had a baby. <laughs> you can celebrate me and Kirsten. Yeah, awesome. Way to go. <laughs> we, uh, we got married and then we moved to Italy and then we'd only been there for like two or three months and then she walked in with this stick and this red line going, Ta-da! I was like, what's that? He's like, I'm pregnant. I'm like, what? How? What? Who pregnant? Whoa, that was quick. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh, man. <laughs> no, honestly, like real awesome. Uh, first, scan, first scan, there was a complication. There was a complication. Uh, so we're living in Italy and the uh, obstetrician goes, Mamma mia! I'm like, uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. Uh, and, and it turns out that our son had a uh, like congenital birth defect. Uh, his intestines were growing outside of his stomach. So they were in the amniotic fluid. They hadn't actually arrived in the, in the abdomen as they should. And so uh, what happens when this you know, sort of thing goes wrong, you immediately go home and you search Google, right? And you find out all the bad things that this could mean. And, and it turns out it was looking really bad, really, really bad. And over the next two months, uh, I began to have this conversation with God where I became incredibly angry because of all these possible consequences and ramifications of what we were gonna be facing with our son. And uh, man, for honestly, for two months, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily tell Kirsten, but I'd be driving and I'd just be crying and I'd be weeping and I'd be like, Lord, this is wrong. You've given us this child and he's... He's got this issue and he's going to have potential issues for the rest of his life. What have you done? What are you doing? And I was angry. Because it's not how it's supposed to go. But then after a couple of months, as I was driving home, I was like, Lord, I surrender. I give up. I trust you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him, 
Trust Him in the darkness. Trust Him in the storm. Trust Him when things don't seem to be working out. Trust Him. Trust Him with all your heart. And nothing changed, but everything changed. I got home. I said, honey, it's all good. It's going to be okay. God's got this. And she's like, I've been waiting for you to catch up. (laughs) He was born. He was in intensive care. He's great now. He's 14 years old. He's fine. <laughs> no, honestly, he's actually fine. There's been no issues <laughs> other than the intensive care part and all that seriousness. Um, <laughs> the second part, I, I really sense that God would be speaking to us tonight as he, he wants us to actually forgive ourselves. Uh, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord the God with love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it, it's love others as you love yourself, love your neighbour as you love yourself. And I just think tonight that some many of us have these critical voices going on in our heads that are guilty, condemning, lacking worth, not good enough. Uh, the Lord wants to deal with those voices. He wants you to be kind to yourself, gentle to yourself, patient with yourself. Parents out there that perhaps feel like you're missing the mark, man, be gentle, be kind. It's okay, you're doing your best. He sees that. It's okay. Forgive yourself. The interesting thing about condemnation and guilt as opposed to conviction is that condemnation and guilt says you suck. You're not up to it. You're You're doing bad. You are bad. Conviction says, hey, you can do a little bit better like this. It shows you clear next steps on how to actually take those next steps. It's it's more free and helpful. That's how God speaks. Not not, not that way. The third thing is that uh, God wants us to take some time this week to examine our hearts and, uh, and allow Him to search our hearts and see if there's any offensive way in us in relation to perhaps people in our lives that have hurt us, that have, that have caused offence. He, he wants us to live offence-free in 2023, to, to actually experience His freedom and its fullness. And I know that for many of us here tonight, we're currently still wrestling through situations where perhaps that person just isn't changing or that person isn't quite isn't treating you how they should or that person is actually not talking to you how they should and you're still wrestling with a sense of bitterness or disappointment or frustration or agitation about who they are and the way they are behaving. The Lord wants you to be free of offence. It's, it's, it's not an ABC equals one, two, ABC, D journey. I know that. It's not, it's not necessarily linear in, in, in pursuing forgiveness. Often it Often at times we can find ourselves regressing. But I really sense tonight and and calling us this year to actually begin to continue to walk out forgiveness and walk out letting God be the justice maker. He is a God of justice. And some of you have absolutely been treated unjustly. You have. Forgiveness is an act of faith to trust Him with the justice. It's not forgetting, but it's a surrendering and a letting go. There's a story 
just in closing of a of a Messianic Jew a few years ago by the name of Ilan Zamir, who was driving through an Arab village in Israel. Suddenly a figure darted out from the side of the road. Ilan slammed on the brakes too late. He had struck and killed a 13-year-old Palestinian boy. Ilan couldn't understand why the teenager had ignored the blaring horn and the screeching brakes. Later he learned the lesson. The boy was deaf. Haunted by the tragedy, Elan was determined to make amends by seeking the family's forgiveness. Other Jews who heard of his plan thought he was crazy. An Israeli policeman even warned him saying, man, that's dangerous what you wanna do. You can get into serious trouble. You're an Israeli Jew and these people you wanna meet are Arabs on the West Bank. Asula, Asula is a is a covenantal meal of reconciliation used in Arab cultures. The word sula is the Arabic equivalent of the Hebrew word shulan, which means table. This practice derives from the ancient belief that eating at the same table with others is the essence of a peaceful, harmonious relationship. The policeman was merely echoing what Elan already knew. According to Arab tradition, the family could kill Elan as vengeance for their son's death. But Elan persisted, enlisting an Arab pastor who suggested he arrange for a sula, a meal of reconciliation. Here's how Elan describes what happened when he sat down with the boy's family for the ceremonial meal. The cups of coffee remained on the table untouched. According to tradition, the father would be the first to taste from the cup as a sign that he accepted the reconciliation gesture, gesture and had indeed agreed to forgive. The tension in his face had cast a shadow on the proceedings until then. But at that point, he suddenly began to smile. The lines of grief softened. He looked at me squarely and his smile broadened as he moved toward me, opening his arms in a gesture of embrace. As we met and embraced, he kissed me ceremonially three times on the cheeks. Everyone began to shake hands with one another as the father sipped coffee. The whole atmosphere was transformed, the tension at an end. But then something even more surprising happened. A spokesman for the family turned to Elan, turned to Elan with, his remar- with this remarkable invitation. Get this, get this. Know, O my brother, that you are in place of the son who has died. You have a family and a home somewhere else, but know that here is your second home. What a picture of reconciliation, a Palestinian family inviting an Israeli Jew into their own family. This is a striking picture for us on what it looks like to come to the table of our Heavenly Father and to be reconciled to Him, to know His forgiveness that everything we have done 
all the shame, all the guilt, all the brokenness dealt to, reconciled, new home, new family. That is the invitation for us this year, to come to His table, to reconcile with our Heavenly Father, but also to reconcile with those who perhaps we have been holding offence, that perhaps God is calling us to take a step and go, you know what? That's me. I need to, I need to take a step. I need to reach out. I need to, need to ask for forgiveness. It's challenging, but I would love it to see a community of people that would be able to live offence free, to live free, to have our hearts continue to be softened and tender and open to God's leading and His Spirit so that as He flows to us, God's love and kindness and patience and pureness and hope can continue to flow from us.